In the spirit of reconciliation, Siren Sport acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. podcast. I will be your host this week. I am Siren co-founder Casey Simons and this week I'm bringing you a conversation with a woman I just so admire, someone who's been an incredible mentor to me and who has been an incredible support to Siren Sport even since before Siren Sport was even a thing, was so instrumental in helping us get the platform together and figure out who we wanted to be and what we wanted to do and has been an amazing support ever since. And of course, I'm talking about Associate Professor of Sociology at Deakin University, Dr. Kim Toffoletti. Kim is just one of those women who, if you're ever lucky enough to meet, is so lovely, compassionate, empathetic, super smart, an absolute champion, has such a great feminist brain. I could talk to her for hours and she was generous enough to give me a little bit of her time in her very busy schedule to have a talk about women in sport academia, looking at the space and what she's working on, some thoughts she has about women in sport media, and I guess the broader women in sport movement and how academia is part of that um, and sport academia plays a role in that. I hope you enjoy this chat. Um, If you have any questions about Kim's research, she will give you where to find her at the end of the episode, but just Google Kim Toffoletti and her Deakin University page will pop up. In the meantime, make sure you're following Siren Sport on social media. Um, Twitter, we are siren underscore sport. And make sure you head to our website, sirensport.com.au to keep up to date with everything that we're up to at Siren. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kim. Kim, thank you so much for making time in your busy, hectic schedule, working hard in research, teaching, being a strong advocate for women in sport to fit in time to have a chat with me today. I so appreciate it. Oh, well, it's a pleasure for me and a nice opportunity for us to catch up. Absolutely. I mean, I will take an excuse to talk to you any day, Kim. Well, <laughs> I can claim it for Siren Business to do a podcast. Like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> Um, For our listeners who are tuning in, we've mentioned Kim Toffoletti a couple of times in the podcast because when we've talked about the genesis of Siren, we've mentioned Kim's name a couple of times because Kim was sort of there from the start of the journey when we started to talk about what we might want to do when the co-founders got together to talk about our frustrations and things we wanted to work on but felt a bit you know, coming up against some barriers and feeling a bit isolated and wanting to have more support. And throughout those conversations, we were connected into Kim Toffoletti and she was such an ambassador for us in trying to get us off the ground and helping us with just our structure and our business plan and our vision and what we wanted to do. So it's so amazing that we still have you in our corner and we love every time you tweet us or share our work and we can see you still so engaged and supportive of what we do. And we just love you, Kim. So it's just a big thing. Thank you from all of us at Siren, um, not just for joining us on the podcast, but just for being there for our whole journey. Oh, my gosh. That that gives me far too much weight to um, <laughs> my, my role, um, which has really just been to be like your biggest cheerleader because, you know, research, you know, part of what I do shows that just 
you know, women's women's sport and women writing about women's sport, it's just so underrepresented. And you've gone out there on a limb and tried to do something different and make an intervention um, without the big kind of, you know, corporate backing or without the kind of media institutional, you know, the traditional or old formats. And that's, you know, that takes a lot of commitment, um, not only in terms of time and energy, but vision for a more gender equitable future. And so to do that work is hard. That's the, at the coalface work. So any way that I might recognise, champion and support that, I'm, I'm right here for it. Oh, we so appreciate it, Kim. And I mean, one of the big parts of that, you played a big role in is connecting us to Deakin University and the internship program. And that's a huge help for us because not only are we passionate about supporting those emerging voices and being there to help women get into the industry, but it's just amazing to have such energy come and help us with those day-to-day -day tasks at Siren and to work with us so collaboratively. So that's um, yeah, definitely a big thing. We're really appreciative of your role in Siren too. Yeah, and I think um, having an internship is a, a logical kind of pathway. If it's about building women in sports media, how does that happen? You know, we've got students who might be uh, wanting to be journalists or communicating in that sports space from different backgrounds, but might have a passion for, you know, sport or gender equity or, um, you know, and, and, and wanting to elevate women's voices. And to have the opportunity to work with a media group such as yourselves who are actually committed to lifting other women up and to doing it with kindness and care, um, I think it's just so important for people to get a taster that the media industry is not always <laughs> dog eat dog, <laughs> that there's actually other models and that those models can be mutually supportive, as you said, um, you know, the guidance and support that you provide to give students real world kind of skills and, and practice in not only writing, but how one might put together, you know, media content um, and, and disseminate that and to do that in a way that's a viable kind of model. And um, that's, that's a lot, you know, that's, that's a real insider kind of perspective that I think um, students wanting to work in these spaces uh, need to have, um, but at the same time, you know, as an as an unpaid media organisation, there's a group of you as women in, in Siren who are also, um, you know, putting your own time and energy in, and to have uh, that those helping hands and support is, I think, really mutually beneficial. Um, what I find interesting too, from the from the perspective from academia, is how many women when you put the, you know, for the internship call, really need a nudge. They really need to be told, yeah, of course you can do this or why wouldn't you? They would just never think of themselves as the person. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that uh, this is, you know, probably there's quite a few, you'd be quite aware there's quite a few schemes that are inviting women now to, to take up positions um, in media um, to gain the skills and the knowledge. And having those programs there is, is so important. What's I think a really critical piece is how do you how do women come to recognise themselves as the people who can take up those positions? You know, so often yes. women are like, well, I couldn't, or why me? Or you know, so you know, part of my job is also approaching people who I think are, are you know, have a have a point of view and something to bring and who would be totally up for the challenge. 
um, and they often surprise themselves. And, and I'm sure when they get to you, you know, part of your work too is to, to say that they can do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny. And this is probably a bit of a, a side chat. We might have to get you on the pod again, Kim, to talk more about this. But um, yeah, the amount of sort of interviews we do with um, young women who want to come in and intern with Siren, and it might be because they kind of like us or they kind of are a little bit aware of what we do, but they I immediately identify themselves as oh, but I'm not a sports fan and I don't really know why I'm here, but, you know, I think this is cool, but I'm just unsure. And then the more we talk to them and we structure our interviews in that way, um, and I love that you use the terms kindness and care, and I think that's what we really try to actively bring to those conversations because just not discounting that at all, which some employers might do um, when you're going into a job interview to work for a sports organisation. We try to just have a bit more of a chat and learn more about the person. And we'll get to a point where that um, individual may be really passionate about something that they didn't really consider valuable to the sporting sector. And it might be just how they've participated in a recreation activity or how they use sport for mindfulness or how they just enjoy to watch a sport that's not actually broadcast on television but that's where their fandom lies but they say I'm not a sports fan because they don't see it reflected back in mainstream media and feel like it's not valued or we won't value it as a quote-unquote sporting organization or sports media platform but once we get through those layers and we create that space where they can share their entry point in or their story or their connection we start to like um like peel back the onion a little bit and understand a new story that connects to sport in a completely different way that we 100% value and we want to hear and want to give that person that support to to be able to feel empowered to tell their story or to tell the stories of others in that space that they think are important and then the look on their face when they realize that oh well, when you put it like that, oh, yeah, I guess I am a sports fan. It's just so heartwarming to see that little light click on. And I just, I wish the space was more inviting for um for people like that to to feel that their passion in sport is valued or that they belong. But we know that that's definitely the challenge at the moment. So I really appreciate you um, highlighting that, Kim. That's um made my day a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. I think um it's indicative of a kind of broader perception that, if you want to study or analyse or write about sport, you need to know everything about sport. You need to be the biggest fan or you need to be the one that's, um, that there's some sort of uh, criteria around what, what legitimates you as someone who could make an intervention um, mm -hmm. or have some commentary around um, the sporting landscape. Uh, and both of us are in classrooms. So we often see those kinds of dynamics in a sports uh, sports teaching context where there's you know often a sort of an assumption that um, that men in the classroom will inherently know more or be more expert about sport um, than than the women um, and you know even as teachers I find myself often needing to demonstrate my legitimacy or my expertise um, <laughs> And how, you know, the kinds of strategies I use to perhaps invite a different kind of way of thinking about my role in the classroom uh, or even what we might value um, in terms of, you know, what makes someone, uh, you know, uh, what legitimises someone's voice or opinion um, when it comes to sort of thinking critically about sport. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's how I felt many years ago when I first met you, Kim, which is another reason why I wanted to talk to you on the pod is um, I'm doing some episodes of the Siren Spot podcast where I'm connecting with people who I think have had a really big impact um, on my life, but I also know are having big impacts on lots of other people's lives in this big overarching space that we call the Women in Sport movement. But I spoke to um, Tali Bevilacqua and Kelsey Trainer a couple of weeks ago on the Siren Sport pod about the power of community in the women in sports space and who is able to network with each other and find support and find their cheerleaders in the environment and ask those questions because I feel you're right and this is something I mean I definitely still feel still do feel but have felt more so in the past is that quest for legitimacy and feeling that I needed to do something differently to belong and trying to find ways to do a piece of work or different ways to work that I fit in but was doing what I wanted to do and I didn't know how to do that for so long and I thought um while I was working in sports administration that a way to do that um, was to do some more further education and to do my PhD and I was really interested in fandom that was the biggest part of my identity that I think I was having trouble with in the um, in those the fan space and I guess the broader picture of um, being a woman in sport and sort of finding the role I could play in that that I felt that I belonged but also could contribute to making it a better space for other people and I was just this sort of mess of a person I think at that point and I didn't really know what I was doing um, I was so fresh in that environment and trying to challenge my thinking and I remember I downloaded a paper that you had written and it must have been from one of those platforms that it sort of pops up when you download it that you can send a note to the researcher about you know why you found the paper interesting or why you downloaded it and I think I wrote something so just bland I was like I'm really interested in female fans of men's sport and this looks really interesting and you actually wrote back and you were like tell me about what you're doing like what are you researching and I was like oh my god um this like amazing researcher who is so known for looking at this space of women who are fans of you know Australian um rules football of the men's competition at that time um and I was using a lot and so just enamored by it person has written back and then we had a bit of a dialogue and you offered to meet me for coffee to talk about my project and that was the first time I think in the quote-unquote women in sports space that someone had extended me their time and their energy to talk to me and support me through some questions that I had so firstly I just wanted to say thank you that just has always stuck with me and is something that I actively try to do now with other people reaching out and similar to how I um, spoke about the experiences I had with Tally and Kelsey and just being able to reach out to people you know in a respectful way and not putting too much pressure on everyone to make that time I know everyone's really busy but when we do have that sense of community and people um, are able to be respectful and so supportive of each other like these amazing things can really happen in our space and I wanted to ask you just how you feel about being part of the women in sports space from that academic perspective, because I guess we talk about it a lot from you know, the view of the athletes and a lot about the media. We definitely talk about it a lot in the media, about the media perspective at Siren. That's what we're really passionate about. But there's so many other spaces that intersect with sport that women work in. And I wanted to, I guess, learn a bit a bit more about your experiences and, and how you found being a researcher in the sports sector from an academic perspective wow there's a lot to unpack there well firstly <laughs> it's what an amazing story to hear that 
that communication um, uh, has stayed with you all that time. I mean, for me, it, it was a no-brainer. There's so few women who are looking at uh, women fans of sport, particularly at the time, and certainly since then, um, our numbers have grown, which is tremendous. And I think part of that is because we are encouraging each other. We're actually curious to know others who are also working on the same problems mm -hmm. and trying to... Um, to recognise the experiences of women as, as sport fans. So um, any opportunity to meet up with others who are, you know, on, on that journey too, I'm, I'm always interested in that. And I also think, you know, within sport fan studies in particular, the, the default has always been that the fan is, the fan doesn't have a gen, the fan is, is the fan, but the default is that the fan is, is male. And, and just to see that gap in, in, in how we might understand what the fan experience looks like because it's already just assumed to be, you know, a particular set of practices and behaviours that align largely with the male experience. And, uh, and so, you know, as an academic in that space, um, particularly in the early days, you know, there was that sense of who are, who are the other people out there who are trying to address this problem and how do you intervene in a space where, all the voices are male and what is the interest levels in, you know, in actually understanding um, women's experiences as fans. Um, and I'll admit that certainly there was always part of the, part of the um, responding to that gap means that people were interested, they were curious. So for instance, you know, early papers that I wrote really got picked up quite quickly because people didn't really know much about the, the subject matter. Um, and at that time I was working, I was quite a junior academic and my collaborator on that research around um, particularly AFL, well at the time, you know, AFL, but AFL men's um, sport and, and female fans of that, uh, that league um, was a more senior male sports sociologist. So in a way, recognising too that, you know, in some ways he had sort of forms of capital in that space, uh, reputation and, and knowledge, um, which uh, really supported me at, at that time, um, but also gave me an entry into a bit of a boys club. Mm. So, um, and subsequent to that, you know, and, and it was a very, um, you know, and as a male colleague, he was very generous with his time and ensuring that I was first author on things. So really, you know, demonstrated a commitment to supporting um, younger academics, making, giving space for women's voices um, uh, and, and scholarship and also very receptive to using, I guess, a more critical feminist lens on things, which perhaps is, you know, asking harder questions around, how do we define fandom on whose terms? Um, what does this mean for perhaps women's ways of, you know, doing and being and practising fandom? Um, and so, you know, the legacy of that, I think, is for me to also do that work for other women academics um, and to ensure there's spaces where um, we're getting, you know, multiple and di diverse perspectives. I certainly don't see this space as a competition and I think you know part of my work as academics I imagine that within the broader sports space you know sport is the parent performance model is the model right whether you're mm -hmm. on the field or off the field 
who's the biggest, strongest, who's the winner? You know, it's always about highest, strongest, fastest, longest. Uh, today we heard that uh, that um, Ash Barty has retired um, mm. from tennis at the top of her game. And, you know, what a kind of F you to that model, you know, someone <laughs> who says, actually, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to play that yeah. game where I have to dominate for the next 10 years to prove myself or to mm-hmm. play a particular game where that is a sign of, have you know, of success. So to actually yeah. practice doing something different, um, you know, is always with me in my own kind of academic work and that might involve, you know, creating space for other women's voices um, or, you know, within the, within the fan the sport fan space is very little work that's done by women from the global south or women from socially marginalized identities so being mindful of that too and how to create space for different kinds of voices and experiences yeah absolutely and that's just sort of touched on I guess like a memory I have of probably just before I got the courage to reach out to you and and organize that coffee um all those years ago was I think I had a bit of a dawning of awareness around that time where I was undoing a lot of behaviours that I had learnt from the fan identity that I'd created and and wanting to be one of the boys and just being so ingrained in sport from a fan perspective, a professional perspective, um, trying to also work in media and just so many ways that it was sort of encompassing my life that I didn't realize how complicit I was in those gendered behaviors to a certain extent and when I started to unpack that a little bit even with my PhD my supervisors from my honors thesis um, all through to my PhD were all men and they were all and still are great supporters of mine great allies very conscious of um, sort of the power dynamic in that but it made me realize that you know, I actually, I actively sought them out and I chose them because I did want to be surrounded by men. And I sort of had this predisposition to surround myself with men in sport, because I thought that was the best way to succeed and to be accepted and to move forward. Um, And I was doing, I guess, a lot of that work in early academic conferences that I went to, because I was going to conferences where they were male dominated from a sports perspective, whether they were you know, sports history, um, sports literature, uh, sports management. And I just felt like that was the model forward. And once I started to do a bit more reading about that gender performance and looking at your work, Kim, and wanting to talk to you, I was like, I need to surround myself with more women. I need to get myself into a position where I see women as allies because there was a time that I just didn't allow myself to, to feel that. And I was so competitive with other women because I guess like that's how the patriarchy works in these environments sometimes. Um, but and it's structural. Yeah, all that structural <laughs> stuff. And then this, like you were just saying, that sports element alongside it that drives more competition and oh, it was so toxic to, to think like that. And I hate that I, I thought that um, for such a long time and I was working in that way. But yeah, as I said, I'm so grateful to, to women like you who allowed me to just start to have conversations with you and to allow me to break down my own barriers and my own gender bias that I had to undo and then be more conscious of being that ally to other women and making sure that what I experience hopefully is you know not as uh, common as um as what it was perhaps you know maybe a decade ago when I was starting out but 
I know it, you know, that the, that structural stuff doesn't change overnight. So I know there's a lot of pressure for women to, to feel that way in these spaces. And I think um, academia is definitely one of those that I feel a lot more connected to now. And I know walking into conferences, I'm very quick to try and identify early career researchers and PhD students who are women or from marginalized communities and introduce myself and make sure I ask questions at their presentation and feel that I guess feel the, the the emptiness that they might feel around that that I felt that I had to feel with performing a certain way um, but I don't know if that's something that you've ever experienced or that you see um, but I just wanted to say also thank you for helping me to undo some of that um, bad behaviors that I had from this space as well. I think that rather than see these as individual failings is to recognize that we're responding to the social conditions that we're <laughs> that we're subject to and that for women yeah. these conditions can be very cruel you know and that we are you know we are in you know a, a space that is largely male dominated you know in terms of numbers of men but also in terms of what's valued and what's considered you know, normative or desirable. And for women that can put them in a really tough place, you know, that you want to be taken seriously and play with the boys, but then, you know, you're sort of set, you're kind of expected to meet a set of standards which often are not good for oneself or other people. I mean, I'm deeply disinterested in competition. So even though I love sport, <laughs> you know, the idea that sport might be a, a vehicle to other things to connection or self-realization or bodily movement and joy or play to me that's a much more meaningful orientation and, and similarly with researching in the sports space for me writing the most papers or the most cited papers or being the first or you know that stuff like I I'm it just it doesn't hold much meaning for me what I think is much richer is collaborating with others who have a shared curiosity um, or have a shared commitment to interrogating, um, you know, sites of, of gender conflict or inequality or tensions. Um, uh, to me, that's a much kind of richer agenda and one that I think, you know, in some ways is a, a way of putting into practice that breaking down those kinds of quite individualised, competitive uh, kinds of notions, which I think permeate, you know, probably not only sport, but I think that is, you know, indicative, I think, of sort of contemporary living and what's expected of us mm. to succeed. So to try to find different models of success um, in the way that you've done at Siren, which is how can a group of women come together who, you know, have really, you know, been kind of bruised and battered by the mainstream media model or the mainstream medical model hasn't wanted to support what you do um, mm. and to come at it quite differently. And now what I find fascinating about all of this is that in some ways women in sport was so on the margins for so many years. <laughs> and now that, the, that it, has, is, it is coming to occupy the centre, the politics of who owns that now and in mm. whose interest is it to actually... Um, all of a sudden be interested in women in sport, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so and, for what, and for what purpose, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, if there's this sort of, um, and we see this often with um, sports media, you know, when it becomes, when there's an interest in, in you know, women's sport, then, you know, male journalists who perhaps have not been that interested, when it was fringe, it didn't suit them. But now <laughs> if it yep. might kind of actually 
allow them to progress their careers, then all of a sudden, you know, putting their hands up or um, similarly with, um, uh, you know, we see this with women's sports leagues and men's coach, this become, these become stepping stones or places for men to gain experience and knowledge. And so to be mindful of that too, I think, um, uh, and as researchers to sort of think about, well, you know, you know, similarly in the research space, who occupies that, that space when, um, you know, of course, anyone can research anything, but how do we do that with, in ways that are also bringing on board um, the voices of those who we are researching and giving space for a number of kinds of voices and experiences um, in, you know, in, in doing the kind of work that we do. I'm just so looking forward to all the papers that you're going to be writing about this, Kim, because I want this unpacked further. I think it's so interesting and so important because um, I, I navigate, I know, between the two sides of that so often because I think sometimes, like, just, I don't care. Like, use it as a stepping stone. Write about it. Just the more people in this space, the better. But then I completely go back the other way and I absolutely think that I don't want anyone to come in who is opportunistic and is using it for other um other agendas or, or something but then I think what well, no but that doesn't matter there's just more coverage but it, not at the expense of someone else who genuinely wants to be there and that's their passion and they want to do that work and if they're being gatekept by someone else who is just using it as stepping stone then I don't want that but then I just want everyone in the space doing all the work all the time. Um, yeah. It's so, yeah. yeah, it's so hard. I think it's complex and I don't want to reduce that to a simplistic kind of gatekeeping, but I think there no. are questions of power there that are important to acknowledge. And, um, and also, you know, how do we create spaces where there is dialogue and we, yeah, and, and it's not about being territorial. It's in fact working with an, a shared ethic around how does this actually benefit women in sport? And I think mm -hmm. that's got to be our starting point. And, uh, you know, working whether it's in an academic women in sport space, um, you know, is this research actually, you know, going to contribute something meaningful that's going to help us address some of these issues and problems or is it an opportunity just to get another paper out you know and I think we're all subject to those kinds of metrics and demands and yeah. again you know I think that they are really indicative of the kinds of institutions that we work in and the models that um, demand so much of us so how do we navigate that ethically um, mm -hmm. I think is, is the real challenge and it's so so important and you know I wouldn't I'm not sitting here saying that I've got it right but um, it's that constant requirement to be mindful and to try to make that effort and um, to, to think about, you know, when we're speaking. <laughs> I mean, even today, you know, am I the best voice to be speaking at this moment? And, you know, I feel really honoured to be invited on, but certainly my experience is not the only experience. Um, and in fact, you know, in terms of working in sports academia, I think as a feminist sociologist, I've been incredibly lucky to have come into a community where there has been, you know, 40 or 50 years worth of, you know, really cutting edge feminist scholarship in the sports space. You know, so many of the questions and debates that we're having currently, um, and I think this is where Siren Sport and other media outlets come in so beautifully, translate a lot of that work into a digestible and kind of, you know, form um, for a mass audience. But a lot of those kinds of interrogations and ideas are actually coming out of 50 years worth of, you know, 
diligent feminist <laughs> work in the sports space. So there's a great pedigree there. And I feel like I just come in, you know, that I, either my path has been made so much easier because particularly within the sports sociology space, um, there are a number of really um, notable um, academics that have paved that way and done that work. And certainly I've benefited from that legacy. And I imagine that, you know, within sports studies, there are also a number of different disciplines. You are in a sport management and marketing. And I think, you know, again, the more kind, I think the different disciplines also have different inflections around how accepted and more radical or kind of, I guess, critical feminist interventions, um, you know, are allowable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, that's made me think about a lot. And also just made me think about, I mean, my academic journey is definitely, as you said, not as reflective as a lot of others. Uh, academia can be really hard, particularly as an early career researcher, to even just get into the space. So I feel incredibly fortunate to even just be working right now. Um, but you are also one of those people for me who have made coming into the space a lot easier for myself because of the work that you've done too. So um, I will always continue to thank you for that because <laughs> um, I'm incredibly grateful. Oh, look, I mean, it's, it is part of the kind of reaching out and the, the making the connections is so fundamental for building the kinds of um, communities that we want to build that are, you know, have a, a like-minded commitment. Um, just, you probably got a bit spooked hearing all of my children just kind of right in the door before I madly muted. Um, I think they're home. <laughs> and, you know, I think what's interesting too is that, you know, for me connecting with you and others, um, one of the most exciting things I think at this point of my career is that, um, uh, making connections with those who are coming from different backgrounds. You know, you come from an industry background into an academia where you're working in sports management. And so it's super exciting for me to be working with people that have different disciplinary perspectives and are um, engaged and, and, and are, you know, coming at the same questions in different ways. I'm working with people in, you know, sports physiology and sports health and, and those kinds of sciences. And again, um, where I guess a, a perhaps a more critical, you know, feminist um, intervention into, um, uh, you know, into exploring, you know, the sort of experience of the of, of women athletes um, is perhaps less typical. But there's a real desire and hunger to to share knowledge and to actually come at problems with a whole lot of different kinds of, you know, um, I guess, um, uh, concepts, theories, um, ideas that can be brought to bear. So for me, that's perhaps the most exciting thing that's happening in, in the sport kind of research space academically is rather than people being siloed, saying what's the big problem and how can a number of us from different places come to solve the problem? That mm -hmm. to me is where the exciting work's happening. I agree and I feel that a lot and that's something that makes me passionate to be in the space even though there are some of the challenges that we've discussed and you know it's definitely some work to do to make it a bit more inclusive for other women to come in and, and other people from different um, lived experiences to come into the space and do that work and share their voices too but I feel that there is such potential there for that collaboration and I mean I'm very passionate to keep working in that space to to make it like 
better than that and keep building on that and building on that great work and building those collaborations and making great friends and having that just interdisciplinary work done and also bring that sort of lens to siren as well and that there's no one way to write a sports story and sports media isn't one thing there are lots of different ways to tell a story and and share a voice and amplify other people's stories so that's definitely the space that I love being in and I'm just so grateful to have siren to have you and some of the other wonderful women we have in sport academia supporting that um and I just yeah I'm just so keen to keep working and collaborating and hopefully inviting other people in so if anyone's listening who's keen to do some I don't know do a PhD or do further um education in the academic space around sport um you know Kim and I are here to send us a tweet and let us know what you're up to we're really excited to hear but I think it'd be remiss of me to ask before we finish up too just to ask you to share a little bit about what you're working on um, at the moment and what are some research projects that you're passionate about and where is your specific focus at the moment in this whole women's sport academia space? Yeah, well, um, as we've just, th- thanks for the thanks for inviting me to actually just get up to date with where I'm at. I think, you know, two years of COVID has um, got me scrambling. Oh, yes. In fact, um, um, but what we have ta- what we have talked about is long-standing commitment to women as sport fans. And I think certainly with, you know, major women's sports events like the the FIFA Women's World Cup coming up, but also, you know, the AFLW, um, women's, you know, international cricket, we're seeing a renewed focus on on women fans. And um, for me, uh, that work is ongoing. And what I see value in um, is not only working with academics and other disciplines, but being able to work with media organisations such as SIREN um, and a number of really um, passionate and committed women journalists who are really interested in translating the latest research into um, and, and communicating that in a you know in public forums. And I think we all have different skill sets, and you know academics as particular um, audiences, and um, you know often our work can you know be less accessible to the mainstream, and so the work of women journalists is to take that and to help with that translation and making that more accessible. And then that can hit targets. So, you know, to have people within the sports industry even listening to this podcast and saying, wow, I didn't know that kind of work was happening. You know, Mm -hmm. um, they're really, I think, important um, bridge building to then do work together, you know, that to bring research skills and knowledges to um, explore, for instance, you know, women's sports fandom. I'm also really interested in the way in which women are using social media um, in their sport and uh, fitness and, and leisure activities. So to see these kinds of new digital interactive media spaces as really um, uh, central spaces often for women's kinds of um, sports practices. and. You know, in some ways, they can they they can be quite um, safe spaces for women who perhaps you know in in you know on the field or on the court um, uh, feel that their you know efforts are not recognised or rewarded or perhaps they're marginalised from those spaces for trying to create alternative spaces and communities to um, to flourish in their in their kind of physical activities, but also sport activities and and spaces also to push back, I think, against um, a lot of the kind of dominant models or ways of thinking about what a successful what successful sporting participation looks like. 
Um, so I'm really interested in the way that um, women are using things like, you know, TikTok and Instagram and, and you know, um, certainly Twitter for the, <laughs> the older crowd. Um, <laughs> But and, and even other things like you know Strava and, and and other kinds of apps where women can actually come together to practice physicality in ways that perhaps challenge um, some of those kinds of power and performance models or not models of competition um, over co collaboration. So um, I think they you know they they're two kind of big threads in in what I'm doing um, at the moment and just cooking up a fun. Um, just about to start a fun project with a colleague um, who's an engineer looking at um, elite women's sport apparel, actually, and mm, women's cool. experiences of um, of wearing, you know, um, sport sports apparel. So certainly, if there are any elite athletes out there listening, elite women athletes who have opinions on their their gear, mm. um, please be in touch because we'd love to speak to you. Um, about about those experiences and that might be how it had the fit while you're you know it might be about fit and function while you're actually um, uh, out there doing your thing but it also can be your relationship to your to your wetsuit or your sports bra or whatever it might be um, and the functionality around that but also the practical things the hanging out to dry the how it looks the all those kinds of things so um Certainly, that's uh, a great opportunity here to to plug that and to um, invite um, elite athletes out there who might be interested in talking about that to be in touch. Absolutely, we'll put some notes in that um, when we promote the podcast to get in touch with you because I'm sure there are many athletes out there who have lots of strong feelings about <laughs> their uniforms or their <laughs> gear or their kit. Um, that's such an interesting space to look at and I think definitely something that's been overlooked far too long in the women's sports space is what women actually have to wear to play or participate in the sport that they love um mm. I'm so excited to follow your research journey there so thank you for that and yeah we'll definitely plug that um I want to ask one question before we finish up Kim because I know I'm monopolizing a lot of your time at the moment and I could talk to you all day um but did you have or do you have any reflections or maybe general advice for any young women who might be thinking about further education and working in sports academia or pursuing sports research, is there any reflections or something that comes to mind that you want them to think about or reflect on before they get into the space or anything that you've learned during your time? I certainly say that um, it's it's doable, it's encouraged. I think we, as Siren would well know, we need more women's voices and we need informed and critical lenses on sport. Being a sport fan is, is not enough. That doesn't change anything. If people want to keep things as they are um, and, you know, the idea that sport is not political, that somehow sport is sport and it's outside of, um, of social constructs is something that I'd certainly, you know, question, <laughs> certainly my work <laughs> questions that. Um, and so when people are in a sports space, particularly women and other groups that are socially marginalised and they can see that they're not treated the same or that the opportunities are not the same or that, in fact, they're expected to not complain or if that they do, that they're punished, they're reminded always that, um, that challenging the status quo is a dangerous thing. Um, I would say 
there's a group of there, there's an established group of of women working in the sports space that are up for that challenge and so to come in through an academic route gives you scaffolding and footing to be able to make arguments that are evidence-based that can stand up to a lot of the kind of conjecture or the pushback um, and so can really provide an empowering basis through which to offer solutions and pathways for, for transformation so doing you know coming in through a stream whether it's through a sport sociology or whether it's through taking a number of sport units that can in that are spaces where you can start flexing those muscles and start um, developing some learning you know or, or sort of thinking frames to help navigate some of those challenges not only personally but more broadly politically as a kind of I, I guess thinking about how one might be a change agent and you might not end up being an academic but to take that through into um, the sports institutions or, or spaces that you might be working in. Yeah, excellent. I think that's such an important point. Yeah, you don't definitely don't have to do a PhD. <laughs> um, you can just pick up something that you might be interested in and that's but a challenge you're thinking. That's exciting too yeah, if you want to. Absolutely. <laughs> you need yeah, everyone at every level looking at this stuff more critically and, and drawing more attention to it. Um, so we'll just be the better for it. Um, Kim, mm. thank you so much for joining us on the Siren Sport podcast. Where can people find you if they want to find some of your research or see where you're tweeting or what you're thinking on social media? Where can people find you? Um, well, my Twitter handle is at ktoffa, K-T-O-F-F-A. Uh, and I also have a, a staff profile and that's um, where my presence is. So if you look up Kim Toffa Levy Deacon, you can see some of the work I'm doing there. Um, certainly if there's anything that looks interesting, I'm more than happy to share um, resources and information. People will find my contact details there also. Uh, and you can link with me on LinkedIn. And I think that's it for me. <laughs> you know, as bad as me any, with all my Instagrams. And I cannot <laughs> manage any more accounts. Um, fair, I just feel fair. like on top of my full-time job, um, you know, I, yes, that's it. I'm, I'm, that, that's about me, but I am contactable and, and reachable. Um, I think that's more than enough. You've put yourself out there a lot and you do, uh, you're so interactive online, like you are so responsive and you do give so much of your time to people who are there to ask questions. So I think um, you do more than enough. You don't need to be at all the platforms, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. I needed to hear that today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what we're here for. <laughs> well, thanks again, Kim. Um, we'll hope to get to you maybe on another episode in the future and we can talk about some more things to do with research and what you're working on and other things that might just happen in the space because there's always something to talk about and I just want to talk to you again anyway. So I love but, talking to you too, Casey. I have a feeling that everyone who listens to the Siren Pod is just in on the love because I bet that it's just, <laughs> it's just a lot, I feel there's a lot of mutual appreciation and that, you know, we need more of that. So I'm here I for it. So. Me too. So I think um, that's definitely what I try to put out there. So I hope our listeners appreciate that because I know for me personally, we can talk about some of the really critical stuff and the difficult stuff, which is important. And we use our newsletter for that, absolutely. And we use our platforms to break down these issues. But sometimes I just want to have a laugh. I want to talk about the good stuff. I want to talk to the wonderful people in this space and make myself feel good and remind myself about why I'm here and why I do this stuff. 
Yeah, hard can be good sometimes too. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's all about balance. (laughs) 